Oh, good morning. We're having a good time so far, right? In the Lord. God's grace is, 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 is amazing, and here we are today, gathered in this place to, uh, like Christians for so many decades, so many centuries and a couple of millennia, celebrating, in preparation for Easter, celebrating the triumphal entry. Um, the title of our sermon this morning, Fan or Follower. Fan or Follower. And uh, we heard our text already this morning from Mark, the 11th chapter, verses 1 through 11. And as I said a moment ago, and as we've said 25 times a day, today is Palm Sunday. It's a good day, isn't it? Yes. I mean, God bless us. We've got some nice weather today, and the rain is gone, and it's a beautiful spring day. And we're celebrating the triumphal, or we could say not so triumphal, since we know the, whole, the, the entire story, right? Coming of Jesus into Jerusalem for the last time. And if you read all four Gospels and kind of put them together, you realize that he's been there before, but he's coming back, and this will be his final entry. And uh, this is the Sunday before he was crucified, which we're remembering on, on Good Friday this coming week. So on this day, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey, and it's a donkey that is described as one that's never been ridden before. And I actually came across this, this cool little poem by G.K. Chesterton. And guess what the title of it is? Donkey. <laughs> Want to hear it? Okay, so anyway, uh, uh, <laughs> it goes like this. Yeah, don't get distracted. That's a cool donkey, isn't he? <laughs> when fishes flew and forests walked and figs grew upon thorn, some moment when the moon was blood, then surely I was born. With monstrous head and sickening cry and ears like errant wings, the devil's walking parody on all four-footed things. The tattered outlaw of the earth of ancient crooked will. Starve, scourge, deride me. I am dumb. I keep my secret still. Fools, for also I had my hour, one far fierce hour and sweet. There was a shout about my ears and palms before my feet. Donkey, G.K. Chesterton. It's a picture of maybe a donkey's eye view of uh, what it might be like to have been there and to be that one, and as Richard so aptly pointed out, to be that one who was uh, given in service to the Lord in that moment. And uh, we can all find encouragement, can't we, from the fact that Jesus enlisted a donkey in his service. So if he enlisted a donkey in his service, then he can certainly use you and me, right? 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 Uh, and uh, so uh, he said, tell them the Lord needs it. And there's a sense in which Jesus needs you and us. Strictly speaking, from a theological standpoint, God doesn't need anything or anyone outside of himself. But God needs us because he's chosen us, and he needs us because of the fact that he's designed a task around us that only we can do. And so uh, he says, uh, I need you. Tell them the Lord needs you and you and you, all of you, to do what I've called you to do. Amen. And that's why the distinction that we're talking about this morning is, is important as we talk about fan or follower, uh, because Jesus has summoned us, he has, and he needs us, uh, not because he couldn't do it without us, but, but because he chose to do it with us. And so the disciples spread their cloaks uh, on, the, on the ground, uh, or rather they put their cloaks on the donkey uh, for Jesus to sit on because he'd never been ridden and he, there was no saddle. The multitudes come out to welcome him and to celebrate, and they lay 
uh, these cloaks and branches of palm trees on the, uh, on the ground before him. And the people hail and praise him as, as the king who comes in the name of the Lord. The king who comes in the name of the Lord as he rides towards the temple where he ends up teaching people and healing people and driving out money changers and, and merchants who had made the, his father's house a den of thieves, of robbers. But let's be clear about this one thing on this Palm Sunday, 2018. Jesus' purpose in riding into Jerusalem is to make public, finally, right, his claim that he is their Messiah and their king, the king of Israel, in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. As we see recorded in Zechariah 9.9, that says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So that's what we see before us. That's what we celebrate today. But the paradox of the story is this, and it's that they're not praising Jesus because they have recognized his mission and because they are aware of whom who he really is. They're not praising him like you and I did this morning because they are so, so in love with him or because they have seen his grace and his glory demonstrated in their lives. Yes, he came to save them from their sins, but they're welcoming him as a messianic deliverer that they had been looking for for a long time, someone who would save them not from their sins, but from their oppressors and lead this revolt against Rome. But don't you know, and we'll experience this as we walk through the events this week, as we read this story on Friday night, that within just a few days, their hosannas would change to cries of, crucify him. And those who in this moment hailed him as king, as a kind of hero, they would soon reject him and abandon him. It's a story of contrast. It's a story of a king who came as a lowly servant on a donkey. It's really important that you get that significance. He didn't come on a prancing steed. He didn't come on a great, beautiful horse. He came on a lowly donkey, like the one that I, on the picture a moment ago. Not a very attractive animal. I mean, it's just not a classy ride, right? He comes not in royal robes, but he comes in the clothes of the poor and the humble, regular folks like you and I, and never lose the significance of the fact that Jesus came as a poor person among poor people because he cares for the poor and disenfranchised of the world. And there's going to be a whole lot of them historically throughout all of history, all around the globe, and it will be of, 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 of affluent folks like we see in this country now, like you and me, relatively speaking. You say, I'm affluent? Yeah, you are, right? He came among those kind of people, and he comes not to conquer by force, but he comes in love and mercy and grace, and he comes to render, to offer his own sacrifice for his people. He's not... His kingdom is not a kingdom of armies and weapons, but it's the power of lowliness, humility, and servanthood. He conquers not nations, but hearts and minds. His message is one of peace with God rather than just temporal peace, just making it right and, 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 and dealing with the political situation in the present. His, his peace is one of the heart, one on the inside that works its way out. But the shouts of the crowd where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, those shouts, they show you where their heads were at, if you will. When they spread their garments on the ground, they, they did exactly what the crowd did years and years before when a man named Jehu was anointed king of Israel in 2 Kings 9, 13. 
when Jehu was, was, was anointed, this is what it says. Each man quickly took his garment and put it under Jehu on the, on the bare steps. They blew the ram's horn and proclaimed, Jehu is king. Yea, for Jehu. Now, Jehu, if you look him up, he was a king in Israel, but he's a king who was described as bloodthirsty because God gave him certain instructions to do certain things, right? And they weren't pretty. But Jehu was a lot more violent and a lot more bloodthirsty than you can imagine. And so Jehu went way beyond the commandment of God and killed up a whole lot more people than God had intended for him to, 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 to do. And Jehu, at the end of his career, by the way, it says like it does a lot of, of a lot of those kings in Israel, no matter what good he might have done, he still failed to take down the high places and to put away the Asherah poles and to basically to banish the idolatry from Israel. He was a failure like a lot of them were, but he was a violent and a, and a, and a bloodthirsty king. And it's the same kind of greeting that they're giving Jesus that they, that they gave when Jehu was anointed king. They said this, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Quotation from Psalms 118.26, which really should read something like this. Blessed in the name of the Lord is he who comes. There are three things to note about their shout. When, they, when we're talking about their shout, it's not like your shout. Your shout's a little more upbeat. But their shout is this. It was a regular greeting which, with, which pilgrims were addressed when they reached the temple on the occasion of the, of the big feast. So it was, it, was, it was a normal greeting to say, blessed is, is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He who comes was another name for Messiah. When the Jews spoke about the Messiah, they talked about the one who is coming. And then third, it's the whole origin of the Psalms from which the words come that make them supremely suggestive because of this. In 67, in 167, not like 1967, there had arisen this, this king in Syria, Syria named Antiochus. And Antiochus became noteworthy because he thought himself a kind of missionary for Hellenism, which is Greek culture and language and, 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 and thought. And so as, as a king in the region of Palestine, uh, as, an, as an emissary of Rome, he decided to further the religion, if you will, of Hellenism or Greek culture and thought and, and what have you, philosophy uh, and ways of living uh, any way he could, even by force. Antiochus for a while had conquered Palestine and, and uh, under his rule it, to own a copy of the law, the, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the Old Testament, uh, it, was, it was illegal it, it, under Antiochus. To circumcise a child was a crime punishable by death. Antiochus desecrated the temple courts and he actually instituted the worship of Zeus in the temple where Yahweh was supposed to be worshipped. And as a deliberate insult, he offered swine's flesh on the altar the great altar of the temple where burnt offerings were offered to God. A terrible offense to Jews. And he turned the chambers in the temple courts into brothels. And he did everything he could to wipe out the Jewish faith and to destroy Jewish culture. But Antiochus didn't have the last word. Judas Maccabeus arose, and after uh, an amazing conquest in 163 B.C., he drove Antiochus out of Palestine, and he repurified and reconsecrated the temple. And this is what is celebrated in the Feast of Hanukkah and the, the, the Feast of Dedication. That's what that commemorates. And so in all probability, Psalms 118, 1 through 29 was written to commemorate that great day of pur purification and the battle which Judas Maccabeus won. It is this. It is a conqueror's psalm. Now I want you to see the connection. 
Jesus is viewed in this moment by the crowds as a conquering king, much like Judas Maccabeus, much like the bloodthirsty king Jehu. He's viewed in this moment as a conquering king, but there's no way that Jesus has self-described his mission that way. Jesus has come to us as a different kind of king. Jesus had, yes, claimed to be the Messiah, yes, but he had sought to demonstrate that their popular ideas concerning Messiah were misguided, but guess what? They didn't get it. They missed the point entirely. The contrast and the paradox and the, the tragedy of the triumph that we celebrate on Palm Sunday is that the people around, though they seemed to get it, they absolutely did not get it. And so their welcome was one appropriate not for a king of love, not for a king who comes in the name of the Lord to bring, to bring redemption and forgiveness and, and grace and love and beauty. Their, their welcome was appropriate, appropriate for one who would come as a conqueror who would shatter the enemies of Israel. And yes, he deserved the praise, and he got some in here today, didn't he? Amen. Yeah? Right? And he deserved the praise. And he said it, if these don't praise me, it's only right, theologically speaking, by nature. I am the, the, the king of glory, and so by right, you ought to praise me because I deserve all the praise. I'm worthy of all the praise. All the praise goes to me. Yes, that is right. So ain't going to let no rock, right? He deserved the praise, but the context makes it clear that they were misguided when they were praising him. Might be the case that some folks today might be a little misguided in their praise, in their worship. <laughs> so as I look at what happened on that first Palm Sunday so many years ago, it seems to me that a lot of those people gathered alongside the road on that fateful day, they, they were caught up in, in this rapturous celebration. That, but what, what, what happens is they were fans and not followers. You'll remember that as Jesus began his public ministry, he, he never went about looking for fans. Huh? He, it is though he didn't care if you press like on Facebook. Right. In fact, Jesus made it clear that he wasn't looking for, for, for just hangers-on or fans. He was looking for something described in the New Testament and the Gospels as followers. In, in Matthew, uh, the, the fourth chapter, 18 through 20, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. And this is what Jesus says in verse 9, Come follow me. Not like follow me like Facebook friend, but no, really, I mean, really follow me. Go where I go and do what you see me do and be who I am and enter into what I'm doing and get involved in the kingdom. He says, come follow me. And Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Verse 20 shows their response. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now, in this day in question, Palm Sunday, Jesus' approval ratings in this moment, they are soaring. They are through the roof. He's just raised Lazarus from the dead. Wow. This, I mean, John relates Jesus' life in terms of seven signs and the crowning sign and the final sign, the one that begins to, to, to get the interest of the people but draw the ire of the powers that be is this raising of Lazarus from the dead. And so, yeah, he's real popular right now. He's trending hot because folks are thinking, this just might be our guy. The one we've been looking for. This guy, there's something about this Jesus. Yeah, he's doing miracles. Uh-huh, I like that. This, is, this might be our deliverer. This might be our political slash military leader that we're looking for to do our bidding and to, to set us free. This might be the general, the strong military le leader we've been waiting for, the one who will get the boot of Rome off of our necks 
and we can get some cool hats that say M-J-G-A, make Jerusalem great again. <laughs> they were fans. They liked what they heard and what they had seen, at least most recently. It's kind of like, what have you done for me lately? They liked where this all seemed to be leading, where they thought it was heading in this moment. They liked that. Jesus on the way into Jerusalem, a big parade, presumably to confront the powers that be. Oh, they could smell the revolt in the works, or they could taste it. Fomenting rebellion, that sounds good to me. You, want, you say you want a revolution, and this one would not be televised, only because TV had not yet been invented, but they were fans. But again, let me reiterate, Jesus didn't come to start no fan club. Jesus said in, in, in Matthew 16, 24, he said this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and become a fan. Think I'm cool. Approve of what I'm doing. Think that I'm popular. Like my beard. Like my long flowing hair, which he didn't, really didn't have. No, follow me. He's not looking for fans. He's looking for followers. And on this momentous occasion, I submit to you this morning, Grace Chapel, that the streets were lined not really with followers, but with fans. And I just have to ask you this one thing this morning. Are you, my friend, a fan or a follower? Think about it. This is an important distinction. I, I, I'm concerned that a lot of people in, in our day who would assume that their followers are, in fact, leaning more towards being fans. And there's a vast difference between the two. Let me give you a few distinctions between being a, a, a fan and a follower. Number one is this. Fans are spectators. Followers are participants. You notice that the, the fans are there for the parade. Fans like a good show. Fans like a good performance. Fans like... To, to get caught up in the, in the rapture of the moment. But they had no skin in the game, if you will. There was no personal involvement with Jesus. His followers would end up following him all the way, really up to the foot of the cross. And even after they kind of scattered, they all, because they're following him when he arises from the dead, they, they all reassemble and they carry on with the mission that he had called them out to do in the first place. Followers are participants. Those of us who follow Jesus, we are not just watching him. We're not just looking at the show. We're a part of what's going on. Fans are, are, are spectators, followers are participants. The second thing is this, fans are fickle, followers are faithful. It's really rightfully pointed out, and it's always said on this day about those who shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Those same ones would be the ones who on, on, on Friday would be crying, crucify him. Man, and this is, this is, a, this is a, a, a challenge on a number of levels in our society and our culture because people will turn on you in a minute. That's why we talk about 15 minutes of fame. All you need is one stupid Facebook post or one wrong tweet, and, you know, and everybody's on you, and then you're like, you're nothing. You're, you're, a, you're the biggest loser in the world. Fans are fickle. You know how fickle people are. Wishy-washy. Followers are faithful. Followers have made up their minds to follow no matter what, and they're faithful to the Savior. The third thing is this. Fans are performance-oriented, but followers are character-oriented. What do I mean by that? Well, fans press like because they like the show today. They like what they saw Jesus do right now. They like what they see him doing and what he's giving them and what they're doing for him or what they think he might do for him. They like him because of his performance. 
Wow, Jesus, can you do another one of those cool Lazarus tricks? That was cool, man. I mean, did you see that? Did you see that? I mean, the dude was stanky up in there. And Jesus said, Lazarus. And he named him. By, did you check that out? Because Jesus named him by name. Because if Jesus hadn't, they might all come out of here. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. Come forth. And man, Lazarus come walking out. That was so good. Like one of the mummy movies. That was cool. Did you see that? Fans like, they like a good show. They like a good pr production. But followers are character oriented. In other words, you know, rather than hanging out with Jesus as long as he keeps doing cool stuff like that, followers follow Jesus not because of what they've seen him do, but because of who he is. Hello, somebody. Uh, this is what gets me in my relationship and the reason why I decided to follow Jesus and why I continue on in this journey is because I, when I think about his love and his mercy, his faithfulness, his compassion, his obedience to the Father, how he endured all the things required to bring salvation to me and to you, when I gaze upon all of, of Jesus and all of his resplendent glory, yet I realize how, that he's humble and gentle and meek, and, you know, that's what, that's what endears me to him and what causes me to want to give my life and, and withhold nothing and follow him because I realize who he is and, and that he reflects to me the, the character and the person and all of the attributes of God. They're all in Jesus. And when I look at that, that's what, that's what draws me and that's what keeps me. It's not because I've seen his miracles. I've, since I followed him, I saw him working in my life. I've seen him working in my life. Since I've been serving here, I've seen him working in your lives. I've seen him do stuff, but I didn't follow him because I saw him do stuff. I followed him because I believed in who he was, and he represented God to me. Fans don't care about that stuff. Would you like more signs and wonders? Yes, please. That's, that's, fan, that's fandom. Then four. Fans are limited in their commitment. Followers go all the way. That, that's what Im, what's implied in following. You know, it's like, uh, it's like, follow me. And then, you know, you get to the door and you go out. And, you know, what, where were you? What happened? I thought you were following me. Well, I did. I followed you to the door. But when you started to go to Starbucks, I started to stay behind. Followers, fans are like that. Uh, I'm going to follow you down this parade route here. Yeah, right here. Okay, they followed him on Palm Sunday. They followed him up to the end of the parade. And when that was over, they stood, they stood back and watched and waited and, and, until Good Friday, and they said, oh, you know what, changed our mind. Nah, you know. Limited in their commitment. Followers go all the way. Um, the other thing is this. Fandom, if you will, is based on or based in fantasy. Followers are grounded in reality. You understand the difference? You, you, can, you can become a fan of something or somebody based upon things that aren't even real, based upon your the projection of what you think they should be or what you think they're about or some dream or some, something you've concocted in your head as opposed to following Jesus because of the reality of who he is and the reality of what he has done and for us and on our behalf. Then... Fans try to adopt, adapt, or conform the gospel to their worldview, to their needs, to satisfy their sensibilities. Followers adopt, see, fans try to adapt, but followers adopt the worldview of Jesus and receive the gospel as it's given in the gospels, as it comes from Jesus, right? You see the difference? There's a whole lot of people trying to superimpose their 
worldview or the, their culture or their society or their movement or their ideology onto the gospel and try to marry the two, that doesn't work with Jesus. When you come to follow Jesus, you follow him and he sets the agenda and everything else flows from that. You, you adjust your worldview and you adjust the way you think and you adjust your walk based upon who he is. See, in our, in our nation, fans are consumed with the American dream and often we try to superimpose the American dream over the message of the kingdom. But followers of Jesus embrace a kingdom dream, and it's not just a dream of everybody getting over and, and you know, two cars in every garage and three chickens in every pot. That has to, you know, has to go up now, you know. Uh, but, but followers embrace... <laughs> that's a lot of chickens. In one, that's a big pot. But followers embrace a, this kingdom dream, and the dream is this of God's coming kingdom rule and reign through Christ, and the belief that Christ... And his encroaching and approaching kingdom is the ultimate answer to all of the issues of, of humankind. That's a biblical worldview. That the nations, nations rise and fall. Yeah, all of them. None of them are perfect. And, 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 and dreams come and go. And, and ideologies live and die. But the dream of the kingdom of God looks to a king that is coming. One who is to come and will subdue all things to himself and make all things right. And so rather than Jesus coming to make our dreams come true, he comes to give us a new dream, his dream of a renewed and restored humanity. And then the final thing is this. Fans think Christ came simply to make us happy. Now, I want to tell you, I found a lot of happiness in Christ. I do. But Christ didn't come, first and foremost, to make you happy. I hate to bust, burst your bubble this morning. I hate to. I, don't, don't hate me, all right? Oh, this will be like my Palm Sunday. <laughs> Pastor's cool. We hate you. But, but, but really, fans think, wow, this is all about my happiness, my entertainment, my, my joy in the moment. But that's not why Jesus came, my friends. I, 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 get this straight in your It's a byproduct, an inevitable byproduct, and a wonderful one. And I am a happy person, and I have had incredible happiness in my life that I experienced as a result of following Jesus. But Jesus didn't come to make me happy. In the words of the Battle Hymn of the Republic, he died to make men holy. And he died, I think, to make them free. He came to reconcile us to the Father. Our happiness comes on the back end of that deal when we are made right with God and when our sin issue is taken care of and when we are placed in the right relationship with our Creator and when we are given the, the love and the joy that, and the peace that come from following Christ and from having Him in our lives and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when, we, when those things happen and we're, we're in, that, in that place, then yes, there's incredible happiness. Happiness like anyone, no one has ever known. Because a lot of the things that make folks happy in the world around us anyway are things that can only make you happy for a fleeting moment. Uh, money's cool, right? We all need a little bit more, right? More money, more money, right? And uh, I, as you go through life, you discover, man, if I made this, I remember when I got married, my brother said, you're going to get married? you got to make at least $700 a month. <laughs> I make $700 an hour <laughs> in this world. Shoot. Because my first rent was $135. That ain't even your one of your utility bills now. But, I mean, that's nice. But you, but you know what? Money will only make you happy for a minute. And that's why people who win the lottery and get all the untold millions and millions of dollars, some of them, you, some of you, you wonder, how can they, why are they, why are they committing suicide when they got all them? Because they found out what you won't, you haven't learned yet. They found out that money can't satisfy the deepest needs of the soul and sometimes creates more problems than, than it solves. Yeah. 
Say, wow, if I was just famous, if I could just get me a deal, if I could just get me a, a, a picture, if I could just get, get me a TV show, if I could just, you know, get, get me a, a thing, if I could just get a production deal, if I could just get, you know, get discovered, if I could just get signed. And then, you know, look how many of them, same thing, checking out of here. You'll be drugged out of your brain because you're, you're bored, you're, 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 you're dealing with all the stress. You're on tour, and you go and you plan to a thousand of people, and you go lonely to a lonely hotel room, and you sit there, you have nothing to do. You only play so many video games, right? You know, no, nothing. What, what, what else? And, you know, well, I'm going to have me a family. Well, you know, it's beautiful, and I love family. And I got a lot of, I have incredible happiness for my family. But sometimes family relationships are challenging, and they take hard work, and sometimes somebody in your family might, might not respond to everything the way you want them to. Not always peaches and cream, you know? But the idea, Jesus, he, he, see, God knew us, and when he made us, uh, he, he understood, he made us and fashioned us as we are, and so when he redeemed us through Christ, Christ knew what we needed, and we, he said, if I make you happy up front, that's not the point, because you just be, you, you, because I can't do that, because the things in this created order that I've given you, that I've placed around you, those things are not capable of, they weren't, they weren't designed, God made everything, right, and God didn't design those things to make you happy long term. They all have a, a piece in, in your life, and sometimes you get your life adjusted well, and your, your career is working, yes. You, there's happiness in that. Your family's working, yes. You know, you, you have your needs met, yes. There's, there's a level of happiness. But, but you know what? How about, how about a level of, how about a kind of happiness that, that you can possess, and it's called something else. It's called joy. How about a kind of happiness that, that you possess even because the inevitability of human life is that you, you, you might be up one day and you might be down the next and what about something that will sustain you through the ups and the downs? When your family is, is good and you're all laughing and when there's conflict, that, that, that level of happiness called joy is still there. What about something that when, when, your, when your money is, is funny or when, when the recession hits you or when your industry leaves the, the region and there's no more jobs and, and people say, you need to get a job. I say, I would if, I could, if there was one here, right? I'm not talking about, I'm talking about folks in the Rust Belt in certain places where just the condition. What you need, a, you need something. See, if, if your happiness is dependent upon having a job, what happens when you're between jobs? I would ask how many of y'all ever been between jobs, but I don't want to see all y'all's hands. So, what Jesus said, let me, he said, let me give you something. If you follow me, I'll give you something that will, will sustain you through all the seasons of life, something that supersedes everything that you will go through because it's not based in created things. It's based in the life of the creator in you and his power in your life. That's what Jesus comes to bring. But see, fans think, wow, just make me, and it's like entertainment. Yeah, 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 yeah. How much Netflix can you watch? You, some of you say, many hours. <laughs> How many series can you binge on? And then you're still not happy. You know it. And so then you eat to try to satisfy your unhappiness. And then you, you know, you know what happens when you do too much of that. None of this stuff. So, but fans always want that happiness in the temporal reality. But Jesus came to make us holy. And when I say that, I, I don't mean, so we're gonna, I'm going to wear a black suit and, and I'm going to grow this bread out here and I'm become like a, you know, I'm a holy man. No. You all are holy. You've been made holy by the blood of Christ if you've accepted him as your Savior. And you, you, you're in right standing with him, and you've been transformed. And in the presence of God, in the posi positionally, you are set apart. You belong to God. You are his very special treasure. And so what happens is this. Uh, in your life, you're experiencing God's power as, as a holy child of God. Yes, holy. You're holy. Yeah, yeah. So don't say, I, I don't know. That don't, as a Christian, never don't, don't shuffle and, and jive. You know, well, you know, uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not really, you know. Yeah, you are. So act like it. <laughs> but you are. 
I'm not right. You know, oh, no, I'm not righteous. You, you are righteous. That means that Jesus Christ has given you his. He's imputed to your, his righteousness is imputed to your account. And so Jesus came to make us holy. He came to, to set us apart. He came to make us special. He came to, or, to, or rather to, 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 to help us come to understand how special we are as the people that he created and that he loves and wants to save and wants to be in right standing with himself. And so that's what, that's what being a follower means. So you get the point? Jesus is not concerned about amassing fans or how many followers he has on Facebook or Twitter, if there were such a thing. The idea of that, you know, many of you know, I don't do Facebook. I think Facebook is kind of stupid. That's just me. And you like it. It's good for you and your families and stuff. But I don't, I don't, I got tired of seeing what people were eating for lunch and I got tired of raggy musician friends. And uh, uh, so I, I just don't need that in my life. Uh, I, I, if I, I'd rather talk to you on the phone anyway. And I, the little cute stuff, it's, it's wonderful, but for me. And, and Jesus says, that's not, you know, I don't care about that either. And I'm not down to Facebook. I mean, but look what happened to your data this week, by the way. Anyway, uh, I went and downloaded my whole thing yesterday and looked through all the things. that They don't have very much on me, so. Uh, but you get the point. Je- Jesus didn't come to set up a fan club. As a matter of fact, now listen to this. Fan comes from the word fanatic, right? And, the, and, and what happens is that in Christendom, sometimes we, we seek to really sanctify fanaticism. And sometimes we think, well, that's, that just means that I'm, I'm going to be a fanatic for Jesus. I'm going to be a fan of Jesus. You know, I, you know but, but, but that's not really a part of the framework of Christian understanding. Uh, to be a Christian is not at all to be a fanatic. It is simply to be a faithful follower of Jesus. He doesn't ask that you lose your mind. Actually, you'll find your mind in him. He doesn't ask that you lose all reason. He doesn't ask that you go hog wild. He asks that you forsake everything. But in reality, that forsaking doesn't mean forsaking your responsibilities and forsaking your relationships. In the ultimate sense, it means putting him first and following him above everything else. But he's not looking for fanatics. He's not looking for fans. He's not looking for people who are crazed out of their minds in delirium following him. He's looking for faithful followers, those who have clearly heard the claims of the gospel, those who have counted the cost, and those who have made a concrete decision to follow Jesus and to accept all that that choice entails. It means a moral vision for our lives. It means the vision of societies and cultures and communities transformed not by coercion, nor by conformity, nor by, nor by mindless fanaticism, nor by any such thing as culture wars but by the work of the Holy Spirit in and through the greatest entity in the universe. That is the body of Christ, the church, the people of God. That's the greatest thing in all of, ex- all, all of creation. And so understand this. When I get noisy in church, and I might, I'm not cheering, I'm worshiping. Uh, I, I'm not applauding, I, I'm praising. I, I, I have considered the worth of God, uh, and I've become convinced that he is worthy of all my praise because yes. he is God Almighty, and he's worthy of all my life. Jesus is the Lord of glory. Do you know that? Yes. Yes. The Bible says, being found in very nature, God, he didn't consider his divinity, his equality with God, something to be clung to or grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant. That's the Jesus that I'm following. I'm following him. I want to be like him. I don't want to set the agenda for my life. I don't want to set the agenda for your lives. I don't want to call the shots. I want to follow Jesus. I I refuse to be driven by any ideology, mindset, allegiance, 
anything other than my commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. All other allegiances, all other loyalties, all other commitments are all subject to that allegiance and to that commitment and to me following him. My loyalty, my loyalty to Christ is number one, and I hope yours is too. Amen. So, on that Sunday, when Jesus made his tragically triumphant or triumphantly tragic choice, entry into Jerusalem. And during that week, this is what we saw on display. We saw the fickle folly of fandom. There's a lot of that in the church today. It's easy to get caught up in God's stuff, but not God. Huh? It's easy to be mired in Christian subculture, but not so much with the Christ of Scripture. There are a lot of misguided priorities and vague notions that can captivate us, but Jesus says, you need to let all that go and you need to follow me. Yeah. It's easy to like worship music or gospel music or any of that stuff, but to not really know too well the one that you purport to be worshiping. Jesus says, follow me. It's like loving church stuff. I heard a guy one time was in this church and... Uh, I think we hit a chord, but and the guy said, yes, uh, I feel kind of churchy right now. And I said, what does that mean? I don't know if I care to feel churchy. I, I, I understand church culture. I know it intimately. I'm deeply steeped in it. I've, I've, been all, I've been around the block, been around the world from London to the Bay. It's Pastor Yo, Pastor Go, MC Pastor, and the rest can go and play. Can't touch it. But, but it's like, what do you mean church? Church culture, church stuff, Jesus stuff, God stuff, Jesus junk on your shelves. Christian books ad nauseum. I love Christian books. I got more books than all of you put together. But it's like, it's, it's not about God and church and Jesus stuff. It's about knowing Jesus. It's about following Jesus. Everything comes second to that. And, and we, we assume that Jesus is like the heroes we fashion within the confines of our own imagination. Jesus is like some Marvel character. He's like, he's, oh, he's like Superman. He's like Batman or God forbid he's like Spider-Man. Sorry, Richard. <laughs> that he's, he's, he's like, oh, he's, you know, and we're looking. But, but if we're looking for God, if we're looking for truth, we need to, to disassociate ourselves from any notions of who he is except for the ones we find when we do this. What we need to do is we need to keep our face in the Gospels. How many of you have read through in or through the Gospels lately, read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John? How many of you have done that? We need to, to scour the Sermon on the Mount. We need to drink deeply from the New Testament, from Paul, Peter, James, and John, so that we can get to know the Christ of the New Testament, the Christ who summons us to follow him, and in turn, we can follow the Christ who summons us. That's what we need to do. I'm almost done. Aren't you glad? That's why I was. Fans are oblivious, and I'm, you know, you see it at games. I mean, fa being a fan is fun. I'm, I'm not mad at you. But it can get silly, can it? You see some of the ridiculous things people wear at games. <laughs> and, and fandom really has no redeeming value in your life. I mean, come on. Does it really matter if you're an SC or UCLA fan? The only reason you are one or the other is because that's the one that accepted you and the other didn't. <laughs> or that's the one where your, your uncle went or something. It really doesn't matter if you're a Dodgers fan or if you like the Cubs, right? Don't say that around Dodger Stadium, you know, when there's a game. It, 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 does, it, uh, I'm, it really doesn't matter 
in the big scheme of things, whether you're a Lakers fan or a Clippers fan or, or a fan of neither. <laughs> in the big picture, in the bigger picture, it really doesn't matter if you do like I do, which is follow the team that is on top at the moment. I'm a baseball fan when the Dodgers are in, in the World Series and I watch it on TV. I'm a Lakers fan when the Lakers are in playoffs. I'm a, I'm a whatever fan. Whatever, if, you're, if, you're, if you're at the end and you, you, you've done well, I'm with you. If not, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm doing something else right now. I've got to practice. Thank you. <laughs> but it matters. It matters whether or not you hear and respond to the call of the one who came to bring us life in all of its fullness. That's what matters. It didn't matter so much to be out there by the side of the road on Palm Sunday shouting and yelling and screaming if you didn't know what you were shouting and yelling and screaming about. It matters whether or not we hear the real call and we respond to that call to follow me. That's what matters. Okay? So whether or not we follow Jesus has significance for all time and eternity. It makes all the difference in the world. You can like Jesus. You can be a fan, and yet like the crowds in today's text, you could miss the point and forfeit the significance and fulfillment, the blessing, the peace, the joy, the freedom, the glory, the power that people find when they heed Jesus' words found in Matthew eleven twenty eight. when he says this. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and what? I'm almost done. He's not organizing a fan club. He's building his church. Oh, I love the church. I love the people of God. I love, when I say church, I don't necessarily love church. I like, I, I'm interested in various forms of Christian worship in various different communities and cultures, but I love the church. I love the fact that the church is the one thing that outlasts everything else, right? The, the church is a community in which people find their intended purpose in life, what they were created for. The church is a family in which people can find forgiveness and healing and, and transformation, and then they get used by God to turn around and share he, uh, forgiveness and healing and transformation with other folks. That's the church, folks. I love the church, and that's what Jesus said. I'm building my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my church. That's what he said. He says, follow me, follow me as we do that thing. So Palm Sunday marks the beginning of, of what we call Holy Week. And this week, I invite you to examine your life and commit to, the, to really being a follower of Christ. I, I have no doubt that we're all sincere believers. I have no doubt that we all really intend and mean to follow Jesus. We set out to do that. But you know what? There might be a little bit of fan in all of us. There might be a little touch of something in, in many of us that we kind of get excited about the stuff more than we get excited about the person. Kind of, we might be a little more enamored of Christian culture, the style and the, the, the means and the vehicle than we are of the Jesus that it, it all is supposed to be about. And as I close, I just want to remind you that even the Apostle Paul needed to keep these distinctions before him because he said this. He wrote this in Philippians. He said, he said, I want to know Christ. Now, Paul, when he wrote this, did he not know Christ? Had he not set out to follow Christ when Christ encountered him on the road to Damascus? Had he not already done incredible things for Jesus by this time? Yes. But he says, at this point in my life, I'm still, I want to make sure that I'm a follower, not merely a fan. I want to know him. And that means that I want to follow him all the way because I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and participation. See, this is where, this is the difference. And as I close, you see the difference between the fans and the followers. The followers are willing to participate in the struggle. Because there's a struggle involved in this thing. 
Being a Christian ain't always easy. It's not a piece of cake. Being a Christian takes, sometimes it takes courage, it takes faith, it takes, it takes it, there's a bit of risk involved. It's an exciting life. It's a challenging life. It calls for, for some decisions, some cho- sometimes hard choices. Paul says, I want to know him. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and the participation, King James says, the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. So Paul can say that. I certainly can say the same thing. So this week as we go forward, may we, a little self-examination is always a good thing. Remember what um, Paul wrote in the last part of 2 Corinthians? We looked at, he said, you know, talked about Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. You know? so this is, as we go towards Good Friday, let's think about it. Let's think about what, what Christ are we following? What, what mode are we pursuing? Are we fans? There, there's a, is there an extent to which he's calling us to follow him and maybe we're not following in that particular area of our lives or in that particular way? Amen? Amen? So is there such a thing as Happy Good Friday? I mean, Happy uh, Palm Sunday? I'm already thinking ahead. Palm Sunday. Are you a fan? Or follow. All right. I be- Amen. Amen. All right. Praise God.